0: This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham,
1: and Chip in Durham.
0: Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 56, A Late Delivery from Avalon. So welcome back, and thank you once again for continuing to join us on this increasingly arc-based journey through Babylon 5. (laughs) Or is it? (laughs) So now that we've gotten through the Holy Trilogy and Ceremonies of Light and Dark, whether that can it's part of it or not. You guys can continue to argue that in the, uh, in the threads. Uh, but it looks like we are now back to a largely one-off style episode here. Uh, we will get to our feelings on the story itself as we progress. But just to start, I want to know how you guys feel about this one in the context of the pacing of the whole season. Did it feel like a natural place for this kind of episode? Or do stories like this feel increasingly out of place at this point for you?
1: I think it's a good thing. Um, it's good to sort of reestablish the status quo. And you can do that by either just sort of inexorably uh, just going super linear in the arc, or you can have little moments that remind you how things are different. Um, There are a couple of nice little subplots, well, one nice subplot, and the other one (laughs) we may have an argument over, that are all about how Babylon 5 is going to continue to operate now that it's no longer part of Earth Force, so how are they going to defend themselves? And how are they going to communicate, are they going to communicate with the with the home world, you know, stuff like that. So I think that this is really nice that uh, it is a standalone story, but there's enough under the surface to reassert that this is a different world that we're in. And, of course, they're all wearing new threads at the, stop, at the top of the episode as just a little <laughs> reminder.
2: <laughs> mm
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree pretty much with what Chip said, that um, the, the A plot may be self-contained, but um, there's plenty of stuff in the smaller plots. And I'd say there's some stuff in the A plot, too. Um, I'll probably have to save it for spoiler space, but I think there's things happening that make it fit in pretty nicely. Um, and it's nice to sort of give the viewers a chance to catch their breath, yeah um, mm-hmm. And uh, after, uh, you know, wham, bigger wham, bigger wham, and a bit of a falling action. And so now we get to sit back for a minute.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you guys. I I did not feel like this was, was things coming to a screeching halt. I felt like, like you said, Chip, this is a reminder that this this is a place where people live and work. Life is going to go on no matter what else is happening. And I like that we get to see that. And, and I even like that uh, at some point in here when the news is brought to, I think it's to Sher- Commander uh, Captain Sheridan about it. He's like, you know, we've got bigger things, more important things to deal with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's move on, which is, which is totally appropriate. So, you know, we're not really seeing his focus. In this episode, it's it's some of the other characters, which is which is kind of nice. So I guess let's let's jump into talking about this one. To start out, uh, there's not really a whole lot you need to know going into this one. Really, all you need to know is that Babylon Five is a space station that, until recently, was run by the Earth Alliance. They have just succeeded from Earth's rule and declared independence. And really, that's all you need to know to bring you to a late delivery from Avalon. Where a stranger visits Babylon 5, claiming to be Arthur of the Round Table, Carrier of the Sword Excalibur. Though it turns out he is actually just the gunnery sergeant who fired the first shots in the Earth-Mimbari war after a misunderstanding about the Mimbari ship's open gun ports. Also, Captain Sheridan and Vanova try to convince the members of the League of non Worlds that B-5 is worth protecting now that Earth isn't doing it anymore. And Garibaldi takes on the post office. Dun,
1: dun, dun. (laughs)
0: Uh, So this this one, as as Chip alluded to last time, is one of... I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite episode, but it's really up there. Because this is a story that for a long time, I thought was my first episode of Babylon 5 ever. And as we discussed when we talked about passing through Gethsemane, I'm pretty sure that was actually the first one that I kind of caught most of. And, And I understand the similarities because you had, you know, a guest star and a very very insular plot that focused around that guest star and not the main plot of the the whole show. And I think the reason that it kind of like these two sort of bookend the, the genesis of my love for Babylon 5, I first started to notice with passing through Gethsemane, watched more and more consistently, got, you know, really wrapped up in it during the Holy Trilogy. And then once we were out of that, you know, pinnacle of adrenaline we came to this which is something that really grabbed me it was another actor that I recognized and that I knew and it this was sort of like the cement the last the last little cement on the on the bricks to to keep me a Babylon 5 fan so it was really exciting to go back and watch this again (laughs) did you guys did you guys have any kind of strong memories about it from the first time you guys saw it or was this just sort of another day in the life episode for you guys
1: I remembered it as a day in the life episode watching it more closely this time around um I have a bit of a different uh, perspective on it but first time around I was not expecting good things from it there is a classic Star Trek episode where Abraham Lincoln comes on board and <laughs> it's not good it's really not and I was expecting this all over again um I remembered this as being a little on the melodramatic side and There's always this sort of uncomfortable moment that new writers to a television series are encouraged not to make their episodes about the guest actor, the guest Mm -hmm. character. Uh, You know, you want to make it about your characters. This episode is very much about Michael York's character, David McIntyre, a.k.a. Arthur. And there's a little bit of a wanting to slap JMS around for, you know... You know, not following his own rules, but, you know, you're the showrunner. You get to break the your rules when you want to. On top of everything else, this episode is an awful lot about something that has been shifted way back into the background recently, which is the Earth-Mimbari War and the Battle of the Line. We haven't talked about the Battle of the Line in ages.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, all of these sorts of things make me uh, regard... A late delivery from Avalon very positively, except for the fact that when as as soon as we started recording this episode, I suddenly realized the pun in the title of this episode, and now I completely hate it.
0: Okay. The pun, just do you mean that he's, he's late? He says that in the episode. Or do you mean, is there something beyond that that I'm missing too?
1: A late delivery from Avalon. The post office.
3: Um, I think you're reaching. I am not reaching.
1: <laughs> it's a post office gag.
3: I think you're. I'm reaching I'm not
1: sure about that I, <laughs>
3: I, I guess it right. kind of works both I ways. I right. <laughs> um, you, you're not going to convince me of that one. Uh, the, the the title fits just very elegantly into the premise of uh the a plot. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to sell me that one. As far as uh, I always remember this episode kind of fondly, um, mainly because of the A plot of um, getting the more backstory and a different view of events that started the Earthman Bari war, which is I think we finally get a full clear explanation of from from beginning to end what happened to kick it off. Um, We've heard allusions, we've heard, you know, bits and pieces, but now we get the entire story from from the person who is in the thick of it. Um, I also remember the imagery of the Arthurian legend being used really, really interestingly of um, David in his Arthur persona, uh, knighting Jakar after Jakar jumps in and helps him, Um, and of course, uh, the image of Delenn being the Lady of the Lake, and if he can give her the sword and then receive absolution for this burden of guilt he's been carrying all this time so I've always had a fond a fondness for this episode
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I actually did sort of somewhat of an experiment with this uh, with this story last night Stephen and I went over to uh, my friend Annette's house to visit she's she's fostering two tiny little kittens uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Mew and Rory the Roman and they are teeny and adorable and so fun (laughs) And I needed to do my Babylon 5 homework. So I brought the DVD over and I was just like, I know you've never seen a moment of Babylon 5, but <laughs> if you're interested, I've got this homework I have to do. And she's like, I'm game because she's a huge geek. We like a lot of the same things. Uh-huh. So she went in and, and she and, and Steven and I watched, uh, watched this. We put the kittens away so for, for a little while. So we weren't <laughs> <laughs> distracted because that would have been tough. Um, and yeah, so she, I was just like, do you want to know anything about Babylon 5 going in or do you just want to go in cold? She's like, no, let's just do this. And I was like, all right. mm-hmm. um, um, and I think it actually worked out as kind of a perfect episode to to do that mm-hmm. to somebody with. This wasn't I, I wasn't trying to you know entice her into watching the entire show. Right. I'll probably get to that eventually, but just to have her sit down and watch something, we got done, and and I was like, "What do you think?" And she said, "Well, I think that that was a good episode, and I liked it, but I think it doesn't tell me very much at all about Babylon Five because mm-hmm. it was all about this guy who showed up at the beginning and left at the end." And I was like, "You're exactly right." Yeah. <laughs> But she's she's a sucker for Arthurian legend stuff, so mm-hmm. it ended up kind of playing to the things that she likes a lot and uh, and so she so it ended up being sort of a successful evening and yeah. and very enjoyable. So that was, I think that was that's interesting.
3: Some, I think that's something else that's brave about this episode is JMS or the, not just JMS alone because I think it was a different writer at the time, but essentially going to the well of King Arthur twice because yes. way back in season one we had Grail that uh, played with some of the um, King Arthur legend, with somebody thinking, uh, somebody convinced that he was going to eventually find whatever represented the Holy Grail to him. And, you know, this is, you know, yes, again, it's Arthurian legend, but it's a completely different take that, in my opinion, fits into the bigger story of Babylon 5 much more smoothly than Grail did how much of that is because JMS wrote it himself or because of how much more backstory we have to work with now I don't know better Um, actors
0: (laughs) that was the one with Jinxo well which I was going to say you're not talking about about. David Warner here are you (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I love David Warner. I think that was another similarity, too. Like, these Mm -hmm. are both episodes with with very strong, well-known actors in the middle. But in in this case, we have, you know, Jakar and Marcus sort of supporting him as opposed to the guy that played Jinxo. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I had I had thoughts about that cuz Steven remembered that as well. It's like, "Oh yeah, we've got the uh we've got the the Arthurian legend thing." Um, jumping in again. And let's let's talk about that that A plot. I agree that it was that it was sort of a, a brave and maybe foolhardy thing to to focus the episode so much around someone who wasn't a part of the main cast, but I mean, to me that gamble paid off uh mostly because they cast Michael York. And Michael York is great. He sold it. I mean, I I was almost crying at some of his scenes and I and had I been at home on my own couch you know either by myself Mm -hmm. or just with Stephen I probably would have just broken down into the tears that I usually do when I see this episode because his you know it's it's the a little bit over the top stagey kind of acting that doesn't resonate with some people but it really Mm -hmm. does it really does for me I'm you know I'm a sucker for Shakespeare and that sort of thing so so it it worked for me Did you guys did you guys (laughs) feel like that or did did it go a little too far for
1: you? maybe a couple of actor cho- acting choices that michael york made were a little n- not suited for television but mm-hmm. by and large i thought he did a great job i think um he didn't come across as a very convincing gunnery sergeant but he was a very convincing king arthur you know
3: yes yeah that's fair <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is a good way to put it. And I thought, I mean, we had some dream sequences here again, which, you know, aren't aren't always Steven's favorite thing, but I, I, he didn't really mind this time and and I thought that they were minimalist enough mm-hmm. that they they weren't trying too hard to be weird or psychedelic or anything. It was just getting across the the point that this is this is the pain that he's going through and the, the thing that he's seeing and and I think a, a great big part of it, why we get such great acting choices for the most part and the minimalist version of the dream sequences because we have director Mike Vehar at the yeah. helm again. Stephen was very excited to see his name and not surprised. Uh, it's just there's something about his episodes now that i'm I'm coming to sort of recognize not just the camera movements, not just the performances, but kind of the feel of the whole episode. Hanging together and feeling really smooth, and I think having him be the person who's in charge with this this first one off episode after we had all this arc based stuff is a really nice way to give him a soft landing to, to to bring us out of that world and and give us something that's that's different but but feels very competent.
1: Yeah, there's something else I think that makes this episode really work well, um, you know, uh, and, and makes it a better episode than Grail uh, is that. Grail was all about the visiting characters quest and it didn't tell us a whole lot about mm-hmm. the Babylon five universe. A late delivery from Avalon is all about the earth Mimbari war. It's all mm-hmm. about the battle of the line, you know, stuff that we sort stuff that we sort of got uh, through Sinclair and through other, through other aspects. But um
3: this is one of the most elegant exposition dumps I've seen in a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. is. It,
1: and and that, is, that is Michael York's job is to sort of come in and fill in, fill in the backstory of the Babylon 5 universe and to do it in a very interesting way. You know, it is still the guest actor's story, but it is very much tied to uh, what has come before. And I think that helps make this episode work really well.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was something I noted several times. It's like, you know, wait a minute, we're getting exposition. But I didn't realize it because uh, York's performance and the dialogue, the, the entire fact that it's been set in this Arthurian backdrop helps to just sort of elevate the entire thing. Um, the other thing that one thing that really elevated it for me was um, JMS not being afraid to go silent. The scene where uh, Dylan comes and accepts the sword from David, they don't say a single word. It is all expression and gesture mm-hmm. and uh, really smart camera shot selection. And it is, you know, one of the most powerful moments of the episode.
1: Yeah. And 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 Mira Furlan acts. I mean, this isn't this isn't Jerry Doyle lying on a hospital bed um, in a coma. You know, this is, this may have been an easy week's work, worth of work for Amira, but she still worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so,
3: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: that, that is that is really good, too. Um, I like that this episode sort of dallies with the possibility that maybe he actually is King Arthur, you know, plucked from Earth from line, from, mm-hmm. by the Vorlons. You know, we've had the Inquisitor stuff um, and, you know... So we play with it and, you know, Marcus and even Franklin to a certain extent are sort of tantalized by the possibility, but they, but otherwise they pretty much go immediately into, okay, who is this guy really? And then in like the, either the very first or the second, um, dream sequence, we see flashes of the battle of the line, or if you're not paying, if you're, you know, not paying super close attention, you, uh, a Mimbari a Membari fighter, you know, through that unearthly door, so you know that something's something weird is going on, but you know that it is psychological and it is anchored in the real world, the the world that we know right now, and I I, I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish that the first time I had seen it, I had known a little bit more about the show because I. Didn't you know they do have the line in there talking about how they you know basically met Sebastian? Um, and mm-hmm. I, I did turn to Annette at that point and be like, "Oh yeah, they met Jack the Ripper in, in one of the re- earlier episodes." She's like, <laughs> "Really?" I was like, "Yeah, legit." <laughs> so she was excited by that. So maybe I'll get to, maybe I'll get to show her another episode one of these days. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I didn't really know that the first time I saw this, and I didn't I don't know that I caught that line so. I, I didn't necessarily have that tantalizing few moments. You know, it wasn't a long time, but I didn't have that tantalizing little bit of time wondering if maybe this was uh, this was King Arthur. I mean, because they never did explain where he gets the chainmail or the sword from. Yeah, I, mean, right. I have to like that. I'm guessing that kind of stuff isn't available super easily, so he must have gone to some serious work to get it. Now, so.
1: Gunnery Sergeant David McIntyre was a Scadian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there yeah. you go. Had Canon accept mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it was it, it was still it was still fun to to have that moment, and I'm sure some people kind of bought into that for the the brief period of time, but yes, as soon as you see starships in his dream, and I don't think it was actually the Battle of the line, I suspect what we were seeing was his first encounter with the uh, with the minbari starting the mm-hmm. war since that was the the place that that really he was scarred by um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcus that's the next thing I want to talk about here because I am just I'm so in love with Marcus actually he (laughs) appeared on screen and Stephen said Aragorn and and Annette immediately goes oh my god he does look like Aragorn only not quite as hot I was like I disagree with you there but But yeah so she was on board and then later in the episode somebody referred to him as a ranger and she goes what he's a ranger (laughs) And and Steven called him Aragorn I was like yes yep that is she was mm-hmm. just laughing, so it's 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 fun to see somebody's uh you know opinion of the show coming in cold and laughing at some of the same things that we laugh at mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, I think Marcus is fantastic here because he's just at the beginning he has this earnest sort of wish he he wants to believe he's the fox molder of this episode, mm-hmm. and even when it's proven not true, he's pretty staunchly defensive of this guy's right to choose to be King Arthur. Which yeah, we have kind of broke my heart.
3: Yeah, we have that same dichotomy. I mean, we've seen Marcus and Stephen Franklin working together before or thrown together before. Um, and I love that these two are together again, starting out with, you know, something as simple as Marcus realizes that there's an illness about to spread around down below and let Stephen know so they can get ahead of it. Um, Marcus cares enough about this population that he uses for his sources. Um, Stephen's grateful for it, and then we merge into the situation with um, this guy coming on board with with this gigantic sword, and 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 the fact that you know at first they're working together trying to figure out what's going on, and then fairly quickly they diverge into opposite camps. They still continue working together, even as they're arguing about it, they're still both trying to do what's best for David McIntyre. And, you know, for Stephen, that's, you know, we've got to, you know, go through, we've got to get him, you know, therapy or healing or counseling or something, we've got to help bring him back to reality. And, you know, Marcus's reply is, you know, why can't he stay? where? Why can't he stay in this fantasy? Why can't he finish there? And they both present their cases very strongly and even though they completely disagree about the method, it's clear that they both still want to help. And I really like that chemistry.
0: Yeah, I I, I like seeing the way that they play off of each other. and And I do like seeing them... At, at each other's throats a little bit because they are just so passionate about mm-hmm. what they believe. And and I, I also like seeing Stephen be wrong. Like, he's not just again. wrong. He is wrong. Proved very wrong. And, you know, his poor patient has gone catatonic. It's, it, it's,
1: it's believers all over again. And the mm-hmm. good thing about this episode is he says he acknowledges it. You'd yeah. think I'd learn.
0: Yep. Right. I can't fix everything. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like an important important step for him. Well, maybe who knows? He may just go on to do it again and again since he's done it so many times before. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's taken this step. Franklin's of least, got a Franklin. Yep, he's right. <laughs> re- he's recognizing it at least. Um, and the other the other person that kind of takes part in this this little this little plot line of the story is Jakar. And that was something that even having no other, you know, no context whatsoever for Jakar, Annette was, was kind of touched by the scene where he gets knighted. She was, she thought that was really just kind of cool. And I, I agree. It was very, it seemed like Jakar to just jump in and help out and, you know, getting a little dust up and, he's on the
1: side of good
3: he needed a satisfying thump it's been a while since he's had the opportunity (laughs) to cause some satisfying thumps yeah
1: and 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 his line um after the fight when he's having the drink with the with mcintyre about the lack of moral ambiguity Mm -hmm. you know it is that is so beautifully that is so beautifully written it is so spot on it's uh, it's almost too direct and clear but it's not you know Mm -hmm. um Jakar's had a really, really tough time of it, and here is a situation where he had agency, he could make a difference, there are no conspiracies going around, there's nobody whose approval he's got to try to win, he's not trying to get... There are good guys and there are bad guys, and it is patently obvious what to do, and he doesn't have to worry about it. And he comes alive. It is delightful. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Although I kind of would have thought that his, his alcohol tolerance would have been a little bit better. Because, I mean, it looked like they had the same number of glasses in, in front of each of them. And he was, you know, well, he literally fell down drunk.
1: I can guarantee you that Jakar hasn't had time or interest in a, in, in the slightest sip of alcohol. Things have been so uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah,
3: Yeah, there's that you're probably his, right his
1: his tolerance his tolerance was way down
0: yeah good point that battery yes,
1: just you know forgotten to forgotten to have lunch that day
0: <laughs> that could be he's he's been busy
1: yep. but, or, yeah but uh, yeah
3: or know. the you who that stand stood in for the actors really hits <laughs> Narns really hard yeah <laughs> that that <laughs> um, was chocolate you who <laughs>
1: Yum! <laughs> yeah, and now now all of a sudden I'm thirsty. But uh, <laughs> these are also some comedy chops that uh, Andreas Katsulas hasn't had the opportunity to use in a while. So mm-hmm. uh, great, great mm-hmm. stuff.
0: Yep, yeah, and I was actually laughing yeah. at, uh, at his lines, so it it played well.
3: Yeah, really and did. and kind of on both sides too. Um, the fact that Arthur slash David immediately zeroes in on Jakar's character. Um, You know, that he is a warrior and yet has a priestly manner. Well, duh, that's what we've been seeing Jakar evolve into um, Mm -hmm. for like, you know, since the last season and into this season. So um, so it works very well on both sides.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a stretch to go from there to he has great ideas about bringing us together. You know, he'll be a great ally in the Narn war effort. You know, it's a bit of a stretch, but only a bit.
0: Well, you know, it, it is possible, too, that they had some more conversations mm-hmm. off screen because obviously, well, they had to have had some conversation because at some point in there, Jakar invites him to go and we don't see that. So it could have been, a you know, many hours long conversation where they talk about things and, and actually mm-hmm. Jakar hears some of his ideas. And, and so it makes sense. So that's that's my headcanon. Yeah.
3: And it also yeah. made sense for um for David's standpoint. I mean, you know, this is something kind of clean and new there's no you know, there's no um association with the Mimbari. Um he's getting, you know, away from Earth. Um all of the factors that caused his breakdown are are not present. Um and similarly It's at this point a pretty clear situation of good guys versus bad guys uh, Mm -hmm. with helping the Narn to try and uh, work in the resistance against the Centauri. So it feels like something that would strongly appeal to the character to me.
1: Mm -hmm. And conveniently enough, uh, it is... Demonstrated right in this episode, right at the beginning, that uh, Jakar is working with humans to Mm -hmm. convey messages and things like that. So it doesn't come out of left field for him to recruit David.
0: And speaking of using the phrase good guys, that was, you know, one of the things that Jakar said as, you know, we were the good guys, as you said, and they were the bad guys. And that was one of the immediate ways that Dr. Franklin was able to determine that this was not actually Arthur because his, his patterns of speech and everything were mm-hmm. completely wrong for that time, which I, I think that was a nice linguistic touch to yes. add to the script. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, speaking of uh, of Jakar's excellent comedy chops, uh, which really were excellent, let's jump to uh, the other silly plot of this, <laughs> which I I will say that, that Annette and Stephen were laughing at the post office arguments with uh, with Garibaldi and and the post office guy right off the bat. It was, uh, I think that, that I picked up that maybe Chip, you were not particularly fond of this, but uh, I have to say I kind of liked this subplot. It was silly, but I didn't mind. I didn't
1: hate it. I, I I I I didn't hate it, and I think I would have. You know, the actor playing the post uh, the postmaster, um, he was playing a type.
3: Mm-hmm. He was
1: playing a very clear type, and if he had been a less good actor, I would have hated this. Here, here, <laughs> yeah, I would have hated it. Uh, as it is, um, it's it it doesn't quite sink to the depths of Sparky the computer voice.
0: No, and, and I, I think, think maybe that's part of why I didn't mind it so much because in comparison, it's to fresh that, in your
3: mind.
1: Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. that's
3: exactly what I was going to say. The, the The previous comedy bits with Garibaldi interacting with somebody or something on the station that this is streets better by comparison, Um and that's you know the reason I I could put up with it, and also the fact that it helps on a different level to convey the same message that the Sheridan Ivanova subplot does of now that they've declared independence from earth um what the heck happens next and we are mm-hmm. starting to see the effects both on the large scale from the command staff trying to uh, put together cobble together this alliance of ships that so so that it's not just them in Bari patrolling and protecting them um but then on the small scale how does this affect ordinary people on the station services that were once supported by Earth are still trying to keep going, how the heck are they managing it? So those are the things that rescue that for me, even though Mm -hmm. I found it a little bit painful.
0: And I did almost feel like we kind of went back to the same well with the solution that Garibaldi comes up with. It was it was sort of yeah. another legal legal loophole kind of yeah. a thing, which I'm fine with. I I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think once you find a solution like that that works for something, why not try it again and again for something similar? So so yeah, Earth isn't paying it pa- isn't paying his bills anymore, so he has to pay. And I was the one thing that kind of bugged me about that is okay. So it's it's a hundred credits for him to get his box, and then he and this is the thing I hated that he shot the lock off of the. Mm. Mm -hmm. off of the cage window what is it with garibaldi shooting inanimate objects objects lately like (laughs) knock it off um so he does that and then the the guy pops up and says oh that's another 20 credits for the lock Mm -hmm. so that's never resolved then because he comes and he has to pay his 100 credits for the box and then he gets 101 credits back for for rent and stuff what about those other 20 credits people
3: maybe maybe that came out of what's left of the security budget i don't know
0: erica (laughs) you're mathing I am totally mathing. I apologize, guys. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> can't help it. Uh, does anybody have anything else to say about that plot? There's not really a lot to it.
1: No, it's it's um, just it's just fun, and I do like the I do yeah. like the uh, security guy uh, going. Uh, yeah, but this is the postal service. <laughs> yeah. We
0: yeah. could get in real trouble. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, oh, this is the debut of uh, security uniforms. New security uniforms. Yes, oh. they they, they did every- change them. Everything, yeah. everything looks so, uh, everything looks so uh, hodgepodge together right now, and I do like that. the The security uniforms look like like more fatigues based on what they happen to have around, uh, mm-hmm. but they're not wearing Earth Force uniforms anymore, and I like. You had that. the
3: same variety uh, on the command deck. I noticed that some of the command deck were still in their regular uniforms, and some of them were simply in dark dark clothing, street uniform, you know, street clothes. So showing, again, right away, um, the the differences.
0: Wow. I did not pick that up at all. I'm going to have to watch more closely in the next few episodes for that.
3: Yeah. Well... Why
0: don't we move on to the one plot that was actually important, uh, which even Annette was able to tell. Like She's like, that was like the smallest part of the show, but I'm, best, I'm betting that's the the thing that's the most important to all of Babylon 5. And I was like, yep, that's true. Sheridan's plan uh, to to have the League of non Worlds give ships to support and defend Babylon 5 since, since Earth isn't doing it anymore. That's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it's so neat having that meeting in the uh, council chambers, which feels those chambers feel so redundant all of those empty chairs in the mm-hmm. background that for all you know are never going to be filled again because everything's just gone pear-shaped yeah. um but uh the you know sheridan's got a plan and the plan in, plan is very simple simple it, it's very straightforward it makes perfect sense you know everybody wants the station to continue. Everybody ha- there's a purpose for the station. The station's going to have to be defended. Various members of the league are at war with each other. We presume mm-hmm. they're not sitting at the same si- on the same side of the council chamber or whatever. And Ivanova says, you know, to the best we can, we'll make sure that y'all aren't out there at the same time. You know, it's it's clear and it works and um I like that as uh, fraught as the relations are between Earth and the Mimbari, as as demonstrated Mm -hmm. in this very episode, um, I like that they're thinking that, you know, the Mimbari just can't carry the load themselves. Um, So Mm -hmm. I do like seeing that this notion that um, there are going to be lots of people out there uh, defending the station. Mm
3: -hmm. Agreed.
0: Yeah, and I I actually liked, was surprised by and enjoyed the fact that there was so little fanfare about it working. Like, this was such a small kind of side plot in this episode, had it been... In a different episode and taking up more space, I could see them sort of making it bigger and making them have to go one on one with a bunch of different mm-hmm. ambassadors and really convince them Adding and work suspense. at it. Yeah. Yep. And I I actually like the fact that they didn't have to do that. That Babylon Five is important enough to all of these different races as a place for you know trade and commerce and and stopping off and, and all that stuff. That they are just willing to you know enough of them are and mm-hmm. then some are willing to to give ships to to defend from time to time. And and I was yeah, I was a little bit struck, struck, surprised by that, but in a good way.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, I'm going to spoil something, but it's not really a spoiler. In future episodes, you're going to see other alien ships mm-hmm. flying around Babylon 5 defending mm-hmm. it. And it is because of this episode. It just doesn't mm-hmm. come out of the blue. It's part of this episode. I mm-hmm. like that.
3: Yeah. All
0: right. Well, is there anything else you guys want to cover before we uh, dive into spoiler space?
1: It, this is a simple episode. Um, it really is it is a simple episode, but it is a good episode. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I uh, want to second everything that you said about Mike Vahar. Um, the unearthly corridor, the um, compositing isn't what it, it isn't what it is today, but you know, little even shots like uh, David McIntyre sort of standing out in the middle of space, uh, you know, all that sort of weird stuff going on. It's, mm-hmm. it is a, Far better episode than one would expect by just sort of uh, reading a two-line description in TV guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and I think it just occurred to me that a lot of the uh, extras, um, by and large, did a solid, if you know, a solid job at least, if not a very good job. You know, even our thugs um, that stole the picture from the old woman and were beating up uh, whoever owed them a hundred credits, they did a reasonably good job with their de- with the delivering of it of their lines so um it usually I'm like cringing at somebody's uh delivery or um, covering my covering my eyes with my hands or something <laughs> like that and I didn't have to do that this time mm-hmm. everybody held up yeah it was just it was a solid episode and I guess I
0: mean I haven't really talked a whole lot about what Stephen thought um, no. <laughs> poor Stephen Annette has sort of usurped his place as the the brand new fresh eyes for this one um, <laughs> she was literally control group yeah, really. Uh-huh. Uh, he he, like I said, I did say before that he he did enjoy this episode. He really liked the d- directorial touches of Mike Vejar. Like you know, you'd see a a camera movement, um, you know, through a hallway, and then suddenly focusing kind of behind on somebody in another room, and he would just you know whisper Mike Vejar. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it was good, and and he he enjoyed the plot, and and yeah, I think I think. For a change, he was fine with the dream sequences, which is uh, not something that he always feels like, especially in Babylon Five. Yeah.
3: So, well, like you said, they, they were minimalist. They were fairly uniform. Mm-hmm. They, um, yeah, they they worked better than than things have in the past. Sometimes when when they have gone to dream sequences,
0: yep. All right. Well, it's time to assign homework, then. Uh, Sick Transit Veer is your homework. Mm -hmm. We will be back in a couple of weeks for that. And I will point out that uh, we are, as always, sticking with the Lurker's Guide master list order. So we are not in DVD order here. Actually, we weren't with this one either. So Mm -hmm. um, make sure that Sick Transit Veer is the one that you watch for next time when Shannon will be leading us through that one. Yep. And until then, you can find us online uh, on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide or on our website, b5audioguide.com, where you can join in the conversation in our spoiler-free and spoiler-friendly threads. So if you are watching for the first time and you don't want to be spoiled about what's to come, please get on board that transport for the Narn Homeworld, because this podcast is about to go through a jump gate right into spoiler space. All right. Well, I uh, expect that this will be somewhat of a brief conversation, because again, this is kind of a a simple episode. But uh, sometimes you guys do surprise me with all of the ramifications and hints you pick out. uh, Before we started recording, Chip gave me a few to add to my list already. Um, (laughs) The one thing that that stuck out to me the most was just the fact that uh, Sheridan is now, you know, starting to work with the League of Non-Aligned Worlds to build toward what eventually becomes the alliance i feel like the seeds are kind of planted here did did that jump out to you guys too yeah he
1: doesn't even know that he's doing it really this is about yet the practical the practical okay uh how do we defend the station i i I don't i don't know that he's looking far ahead into the uh building an alliance to defeat earth or even to defeat Mm -hmm. the shadows at this point he's just got one foot in front of the other
3: I don't think we, we get the background of the earth War. And I think this episode resonates more when you've gotten far enough to see the um, the movie in the beginning that goes deeply mm-hmm. into the details about the earth War in its me- beginnings. Um, and also because, the
1: episode Atonement. But yeah.
3: Yeah. Because while on the one hand we have David McIntyre who followed orders and fired the shots that started the war... Um, We will learn later on that uh, the Grey Council, which D'Lynn was a member of at the time, um, had to vote whether or not to pursue the Earth fleet, chase them back, take revenge, declare war. And we find out that D'Lynn was the deciding vote that decided on war in her grief and anger over the death of Dukat. Um, So as Chip pointed out, um, off mic a couple of times you know not only is this redemption and forgiveness for David but it's also redemption for her um, to accept him, uh, his gesture to f- forgive finally what they did and to accept her own responsibility that she can do this for him to help continue with the healing
1: Yeah, JMS made it explicit on the uh, online and it's reproduced at the Lurker's Guide that Marcus and Franklin told Delin exactly what was up exactly what was going on in David McIntyre who he is what he was suffering from and all that stuff so you know she they didn't just say here's this guy who thinks he's Arthur mm-hmm. take the sword he'll be better uh they told him they told her that this is the guy who fired the shot that killed Ducat.
0: And I think her performance, as you mentioned mm-hmm. in the pre spoiler space, really bore that out. It was clear that, that this was uh, something heavy going on. And I do think that, that watching that, with all of the knowledge that I have for what comes forward, that it was an even more heavy and beautiful and touching scene. And I found myself sitting there in between two people who really didn't quite get it on that level, going, Oh, I wish you guys knew because this <laughs> is so powerful. Yeah. Um,
3: and I think they enjoyed it anyway, but, yeah. but it's, it's, it's even. It's a pretty powerful. It's Scene as a standalone, you yeah. know, just you know the 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 richness that it carries when you know what's going on just makes it even more so.
1: Exactly, yep. exactly. It's it, on the surface, it's him asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. and her granting it. Uh, deep down below, she's asking for forgiveness too.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I'm getting misty just thinking about it. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, um, another thing that, that Chip brought up uh, to ask is who who is Morgana Lefay?
1: You guys, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. It is so it, it is so fun and. Well, who do you think they? You know,
3: they the both end. claim they know Mordred's obvious.
1: Oh, Londo totally.
3: Okay, that makes mm-hmm.
1: sense. Yeah, they don't yep. they don't know Morden that well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but uh, you know the, it, it's just so it's just so fanish. You know the conversation that they're having, mm-hmm. drawing all the analogies and all that stuff, but. Morgan, M- Morgan Le Fay is so totally Anna Sheridan. It's just not even, I can see it from space.
0: I can that totally make sense. Yep. Yeah. Actually, after the episode was done, cause that was right at the end. I just <laughs> I turned to, to Stephen and, and I was like, this is delightful. It's so meta. They are like, you know, fan casting their own show from within yes. the show. I was just, Oh, that, that, that gets me where I live. That's fun.
3: It's real yep. fun. Um, a couple little things that struck me this time around, um, Jakar's conversation with uh, David post fight um in his delightful rant about, you know, no, you know, no moral ambiguities, no ancient and overwhelming enemies. I mean, you know, <laughs> overwhelming enemies might be the Centauri. Ancient and overwhelming tells me shadows. Yep. So I that, that that's kind of in the back of Jakar's mind at this point. I also like the notion that uh David was the first to By knighting Jakar, he was really the first to invite Jakar to the table that he so desperately wants to be at.
1: Oh, that's a real good point.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Jakar has been angling and building up favors and pushing because he knows that alliance is there. Um, But David kind of symbolically brings him in first.
1: Good point. And there will be a round table. It'll be (laughs) in the war room, but (laughs) there will be a a round table there. Um, Oh, uh, before we leave that, uh, I also like, uh, you know, the the first analogy that they draw in that closing conversation is, you're going to tell me that Kosh isn't Merlin, and there's (laughs) Kosh sort of emerging uh, malignantly in the background.
3: Hi, guys! Um,
1: uh, But yeah, you know, Merlin, son of the devil, um, and... We're we're getting ever so slightly more aware of the fact that the Vorlons may not be all that they may be a little Machiavellian mm-hmm. and all that and of course those of us who've seen the whole thing know know that that's absolutely the truth mm-hmm. but I also like that they start playing with that the you know Merlin lived his life backwards so that was mm-hmm. how he was able to foretell the future Valen Sinclair yep
3: mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and mean, the fact I mean, that
0: the Vorlons can kind of see the future too You know, if you go to Zaha Doom, you will die Like, they do know yeah. what's coming as well
1: This yeah. is Chekhov's meta <laughs> No, Bester wasn't in this the episode meta, You put the meta, and not meta had <laughs> my friend But you put the meta um, fiction at the end of the episode of, ep- At the end of episode 56 And you fire it in three episodes or so
2: Mm-hmm Mm-hmm Ah. Uh.
0: It, it, oh, it's so good. God, I love this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: anything else to cover before we uh, scoot? Um, one thing that sort of thematically, I, I maybe could have brought this up pre-spoiler, um, but the the theme of responsibility and misunderstandings. Who's responsible when mistakes are made? Um, you know, in the dialogue, we get the parallel of one of the knights attacking the snake and mm-hmm. being the signal, unintended signal for attack. Uh, the Earthman Bari issues un- unintended consequences. You know, Londo did not necessarily intend; certainly did not intend for the Shadows to pretty much take over Centauri Prime and their allies to take it over. When he told more, Mister um, Morden, you know, why don't you, you know, n- knock off something? Knock knock off this outpost. You know, the, the little mm-hmm. things that grow and trigger huge things is something that. Uh, we see over and over again in Babylon 5. And I think this is a tiny little um, neat package sort of um, presenting it to the viewer this time.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, as always, this has been a delightful discussion. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. And I was, I was thrilled to lead us, uh, talking about this episode that is so close to my heart. Um, as I mentioned before, your homework for next time is Sick Transit Veer, and I will mm-hmm. turn things over to Shannon for that. So join us for it in a couple of weeks. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will see you next time. Until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham.
1: And Chip in Durham.
0: And you've been listening to The Audio Guide to Babylon 5.
2: the sword I am the stone You are the lighthouse In the storm Little obsession To pass the time Arthuriana Arthuriana You are the lady up the lake you are the comet of heaven's gate. little obsession to keep even i am. on I won't blink Little obsession That keeps us sane Arthurianna
0: you just heard was Arthuriana by Sunspot off their excellent EP of the same name you can find that and more at sunspot.bandcamp.com and you can get a free download of their latest EP at sunspotuniverse.com do check them out and no they didn't pay us to say that we just like them a lot
2: That keeps us sane Hathirion